0: Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates on tonight's show. I have a very special guest, somebody I've been kind of following, and I was curious about this book when it was published back, published back in 2017. The title of the book is The Led Zeppelin Curse, Jimmy Page and the Haunted Bullskin House. I've read through it. It's an excellently, very well-researched uh, inquiry into Jimmy Page and this curse that surrounds Zeppelin and also the Bullskin House, which is burned down. I think since the book was published, maybe it would burn down before, but uh, the author Lance Gilbert is coming to us from New Zealand and he's taking time out of his schedule to talk about this book. So Lance Gilbert, are you there?
1: Yes, indeed. Hey, thanks for having me on, William. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks for agreeing to the interview. For people who may not have heard of this book, The Led Zeppelin Curse, Jimmy Page and the Haunted Bullskin House. Can you talk about your background and what led you to write the book?
1: Oh, sure. Sure. Uh, so in my my early twenties, uh, and and I suppose much like Jimmy Page, I, I had an interest in the occult. Um, I was curious to see if that stuff existed. Um, um, there wasn't any really negative intent on my part at that age. It was more uh, exploratory. I wanted to see if those those you know nefarious uh, things existed in the shadows. Um, you know, some asked me, well, why didn't you try to summon angels and. Quite honestly, I, d- I didn't know the answer to that, except that um, I wanted something that, that was a bit more um, bit more edgy, a bit more dangerous, uh, and I always use the analogy of a, like a shark cage, you know, being in a shark cage as the magic circle, and, you know, having this imminent death on the outside and the thrill of it, and now that I look back on it, um, it's pretty foolhardy. I'm lucky I'm still here, because I, I did uh, knock on some doors that opened, and uh, in ways I didn't expect, and... Um, I suppose the positive end of that is that I I, I did learn quite a bit, uh, at least from my perspective on how those realms operate, and and I say that from my perspective because everyone uh, you know views or experiences these things through a different lens or not at all. So I'm I'm not going to be someone that says this is how it is. That's a red flag for me. Um, but I used that um, that experience or that knowledge to interpret uh, to the best of my ability what I think might've happened with Jimmy Page and uh, his interest in magic because he's been notoriously tight-lipped about it. And um, to his credit, because every time he mentions magic or someone asks him, it's usually um, the comments are parsed, it's taken out of context and it makes him look like he's kind of this wacky person and it's pissed him off over the years. So he just keeps quiet about it. Uh, To my benefit, uh, I can then take all of that lack of information and, and interpret it through my own lens. And, and that's what I did with the book.
0: Right, and so he, he has an interest in all types of Western esotericism, but a lot of the people don't ask him the right questions either. They don't seem to have an inquiry into magic. So you took your magical background and knowledge and applied it to this book. How did you see his magical practices within the context of the group Led Zeppelin?
1: Uh, it's a, that's a great question. It's re, It's really hard to know. I, I think he wanted to take the pre-existing success of the band and then uh, see if he could imbue it with magic um, and see if uh, he could somehow amplify that success or just to kind of, you know, do something and then step back and then see where where it took them and see if he could uh, observe the effects. And, um, you know, I think he was just playing, you know, playing in a a very curious way uh, with something that fascinated him on the side. Um, you know, the guy had, obviously, uh, music was his life, but he had a side interest, and he wanted to see if he could meld the two, I suspect, and, um, you know, with with these things, you you can have some unintended consequences that cannot definitively, scientifically be traced back to the point of origin, so it's impossible to say what he did, um, had, uh, you know, A, A action had this reaction, B, reaction, it's impossible to say uh, exactly, there's no there's no straight line between, uh, you know, action and reaction or effect with magic. It's uh, because it's happening behind the veil. Uh, all you can see is something happens in this realm. It goes under the surface to another realm, and then it might pop up in a certain manifestation. And then the only conclusion you can draw is maybe because you did this, this happened. Uh, and I think that's where the issues came up with with, with the band and, and all of the negative things that occurred, um, you know, 1975 forward.
0: Right. And so, I mean, I think I remember that he had read Crowley's Magic and Theory Practice, Theory and Practice at a very early age. And you also kind of have a quote of his that I remember as he said that Led Zeppelin was, or his magical work was a, a fusion of music and magic. So he, I think he really saw the music as an outgrowth of his magical practices. Do you, I mean, your first first chapter of your book is Crowley's Page. So can you talk about the connection between Alistair Crowley and Jimmy Page? Sure,
1: sure. I mean, th- that was a little play on words, uh, you know, Crowley's Page being his, you know, Page boy, if you will. <laughs> right. Uh, that was my little fun with that. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, Jimmy said he he came across uh, that big, uh, really thickly coded book, Magic and Theory and Practice. I think it was either 11 or 15. It's been so long, I, I want to make sure I get my my – my details correct, so any Zepheads out there, anyone that's picking up on something, it's been a while, and I've moved on to different projects, uh, but Jimmy was exposed to the book very young, and, and I never was really specific about exactly how it, it came into his hands, but certainly it, um, it started his dialogue with, with magic, and um, you know, not just specifically with ritual magic, um, you know, Western, but, but everything, he really explored quite a bit, uh, because he was just uh, um, you know, someone that was always searching and curious. Uh, but, um, yeah, he became fascinated with Crowley, um, you know, um, do what thou wilt have, have an effect in, in his, that was Crowley's, uh, phrase that was quite famous. And and it was basically to page just meant, you know, do your true will, do what makes you happy. Other people interpret it differently, but from Jimmy's perspective, it was just find what makes you happy and do it. And by doing that, uh, you're going to have a positive effect on those that you encounter afterwards, because you're you're not a miserable accountant no offense to accountants out there but if you're a miserable accountant and you and you're always this grumbly kind of sour person that's not going to really have a good effect on people you encounter but if you find what makes you really happy uh, other people are just going to want to resonate with that and go wow what do you do why are you why are you so positive and happy because i'm i find what makes me happy and i'm fortunate enough to pursue it so um, jimmy I mean, i'm i'm pretty sure it's Led Zeppelin 3 that was jimmy's coming out when he uh, had um, curly phrases um, put on the runout groove of the master so uh, do what thou wilt and so mote be it uh, which is a magical phrase um, and uh, then it you know went to Zeppelin 4 with the symbols uh, funny story I, I was doing some research just last night and uh, boy J- Jimmy's interviews are really interesting because depending on what the person asks Jimmy will I know he'll look at them kind of sideways and go okay what is this person gonna spring upon me this guy, he asked Jimmy about um, Zoso, the the, uh, the sigil or symbol. And I'm like, oh, oh no, Jimmy's going to get really pissy and start snapping at him because he does that sometimes in interviews. And um, sure enough, Jim, Jimmy must have liked this guy because the way he answered it was, and it was a very <laughs> a very oblique answer that went all over the place. And he said, look, it, it's a sigil that um, or a symbol uh, that it was almost like a stamp, like craftsmen used back in the ancient times. They'd put their stamp. or or their you know the stamp of their their work that that represented them that's all he really said and then at the end jimmy kind of laughed and he said uh are are, are you are you satisfied with that that um evasive answer right (laughs) and and so jimmy knew what he was doing he i was waiting for him to talk about it and he just kept talking around the answer And i'm like oh he's doing it again and then he finally circled back and did that whole laugh thing with hey i did that on purpose And, and the interviewer didn't probe further, which is good.
0: No, it's interesting because I've seen him question that on French TV. He also did, uh, I think, a Cambridge interview. So he knows all this stuff, but he um, he doesn't explain it. But you explain in your book that that Zoso symbol goes back to what, the Dragon Rouge, which is kind of like an old grimoire. Is that right?
1: Yeah, yes, that, that's correct. It goes way back, and, and it's been around for quite a while. However, um, with my interpretation, and I think from some stuff I've read, uh, you can take a symbol or a sigil, and what you do is you personalize it. You can take something that might have had a general representation, and then you personalize it by imbuing it through your thoughts and through your actions or whatever you want to practice magically. This is a sigil I've taken. It's, it's a general template, and then I've imbued it with my intention, my goal for it, and then he puts it all over the the, uh, you know, the, the, the amplifiers and, uh, and Bonham's drums. It's everywhere. And for me, I think he imbued it with his own personal, um, you know, intention. So it wasn't just what it represented back in the ancient times. Uh, So he took that. But, of course, uh, he never famously never told anyone what it meant to him. Supposedly, he told uh, Robert Plant this when they were both drunk and then Plant forgot. Uh, And then Plant asked him, hey, can you tell me what it meant? And he said, oh, geez, why did I do that? We're both hammered and I I shouldn't have told you. So, no, I'm not going to tell you. So from there, uh, Jimmy's never told anybody what it meant to him because I think it will deflate the magical power behind it.
0: Right. So and you talk about sigil magic in your book and the uh, so what he's doing, I think if, in the Dragon Rouge it was Zosa was corresponded to Saturn, so it may have been some kind of Saturn meaning, but who knows? But it definitely is very mysterious. But that wasn't the only thing that he really covered himself with. He had kind of a dra- magic dragon. Uh, outfit and all kinds of symbols on his clothes as well, isn't that correct?
1: Uh, yes, yes, and I think, um, and, and then once again, this this is my theory. I mean, I really preface in the book, "Hey, look, this is my interpretation." Because Jimmy never talks, this is my take on it. And still, some people will say, "Oh, this isn't true. You can't prove it." I said, "Look, I don't. I, I'm not trying to prove it. It's just an idea." Um, and I, I, Jim, the only time. The only time Jimmy's ever mentioned um, anything at all uh, about his magical practice was uh, talismanic magic, which is which is using sigils and symbols. The only time, and I and I, I know the article because I found it. Uh, the only time he was very specific about his practice, and it was uh, was talismanic magic. So we know on record that Jimmy has said he does practice that, which can take many forms. Uh, so running with that, the dragons all over his suits. I think it was a form of magical protection. Uh, the dragons came out after Jimmy started uh, collaborating with Kenneth Anger. Uh, I, you know, Jimmy's never commented on it, so I, you know, I can't be proven wrong here. But my theory is that he put those dragons all over him to protect himself um, because talismanic magic can protect you, uh, deflect things, or it can draw good things to you. And there's the whole discussion around what's an amulet and what's a talisman but they they tend to cross over a bit depending on the magical tradition but i think the dragons were there as a protection from um, kenneth anger and his salvo of rage that came at him because jimmy didn't complete the soundtrack
0: right he didn't complete the soundtrack for lucifer rising he was the original artist and uh he had met i think he had met kenneth anger on one of his journeys to Buy a bunch of Crowley stuff. I think Cole was the name of the manager for Led Zeppelin, and he talked about Jimmy always traveling around trying to buy all of Crowley's amulets, implements. I think he's the largest collector of Crowley regalia in the world, if uh, if I remember, if my memory serves me correct.
1: He he's got the bucks for it, so I'm sure I'm sure if 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 he can get it, if he can get his hands on it, I'm sure he'd buy it. Um, he knows that these things have magical power and. Potentially access to those realms, um, objects can easily, I think, open doorways to other realities. Um, so yeah, I'm sure Jimmy's tried to obtain as much as he could in regards to objects and manuscripts, books, etc. Um, you know that Crowley actually owned himself, and then he, yeah, he met he met uh, Anger in 1971 at a Sotheby's auction of Crowley artifacts, and that's how they they uh, struck up their their uh, so-called friendship.
0: Right. And so then, but he wasn't, uh, Paige wasn't just a collector of items. He collected what's on the cover of your cover of your book is Bolaskin House. Can you talk about Bolaskin and why that was important to Crowley and Paige?
1: Oh, sure. Um, so uh, Crowley inherited quite a bit of money. He came from a um, uh, brewing family, and I think they were Plymouth Brethren, so a religious sect. That was, I'm pretty
0: sure that's accurate. Uh, and, that is, uh, he was, was, made yeah, he was exclusive Brethren. He was a subset of the Plymouth, Plymouth Brethren.
1: Ah, OK. Um, and, and he inherited quite a bit of money when his dad died. And that's kind of when he turned, supposedly, to to this kind of negative course of action. It's just, hey, whoo, you lose a parent, of course, it's going to sour you a bit. But in any event, uh, that that triggered, um, you know, Crowley uh, going on a magical path and really testing the boundaries of what was appropriate in, in Edwardian times. So anyway, he wanted to perform a, a ritual called the uh, Abramelin Ritual which um, supposedly, and I have never researched it too extensively. I kind of stay away from any specifics around that stuff. And for a good reason, I I just, you know, I I stay on the periphery, but I don't get too specific about any of that uh, for just to keep myself out of it. But um, he wanted to uh, practice this ritual. I think it takes six months to a year. You have to fast, no alcohol, et cetera, et cetera. So he chose Bolsken House as the perfect location to conduct this ritual. He had the money to buy it from his inheritance. Uh, and then he made some changes to the property so that he could be positioned just so uh, per the um, um you know, instruction. So he bought Polskan, I think, in 1899 um, and started the ritual. And then uh, McGregor Mathers was in uh, Paris, a member of the Golden Dawn, uh, and he summoned Crowley to help him because there was infighting in the Golden Dawn, if I'm correct. Uh, Crowley broke off from that, and he didn't, finished the ritual basically summoned all this this stuff uh these these whatever you want to call them and uh just took off and left them to kind of stew about the property and then when he came back the place was that stuff was too entrenched and he couldn't get rid of it and he actually himself fled the property because it was once that stuff gets there and it's there too long um you can't banish it so um yeah that 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 was Crowley's interest in the property and then uh Jimmy Page um you know found out it was um it was for sale and bang, he snapped it up in 70 or 71. Uh, I've been trying to get my hands on the property transfer deeds. The people that currently own Bolskin say 71. And I'm sure they have access to those those documents. So we're going to say he bought it in 71. And then, right, and there's, a, until yeah.
0: and there's a picture of him right there in the front. It's not, it's just a one story property, but it's located right over Loch Ness. And Crowley thought it was the perfect example, you know, north, north, south, east, west. So he could perform this ritual. And he said that like entities were floating around, around there. And then one of the guys went crazy and tried to kill his wife and all kinds of stuff, all kinds of not good thing. And I think the skein references a church, right? Wasn't there some legend that a church was on the property and then it burnt down with parishioners or something? Does that sound familiar to you?
1: Yes. Yes. I think it was the 1600s. I'm not sure. Late 16, early 1700s. Um, and there was a, a Kirk, they call it a Scotland Kirk, or church on the property. Um, and, and the legend is that it's uh, burned down during, um, uh, during mass. Everyone was locked inside and burned down. There's, there's no documentation to prove that, but it's a legend that is perpetuated. And um, of course, all that trauma energy on, on a piece of land, all those people dying in one concentrated spot uh, could, can really have an effect on the, the veil, I think, between realms and a location. So supposedly Bolskin House was built, um, uh, you know, over the ashes, if you will, of that that burnt down church. Um, built by the Fraser family. Uh, Fraser family is very famous in Scotland, um, and uh, you know, one of the Frasers built it as a hunting lodge, and then they, they slowly added on to make it more of a uh, a home, uh, and then um, yeah, and and then it went from there.
0: It went from there, and then it. When did it burn down? Do you remember what year that was?
1: Uh, when I was writing this book or when I was doing research on it uh, let me think here uh, I know it burned down a second a second time in 2019 uh, after after it was purchased by uh, Keith and Kira uh, ready um, I'm trying to think of the first uh, burn down period I think it was 2015 if I'm not mistaken in December I could be wrong uh, <laughs> if I'm wrong I should know this but it's been so long I think it was 2015. Fifteen, that it it burned down, um, and then that's I did all the research on the book and started writing it in 2016 and released it 2017. So I'm pretty sure it was December 2015 was the first time it burned down, um, and it caught fire mysteriously. I don't think they've ever uh, determined exactly what happened, except that a Dutch woman, uh, a wealthy Dutch businesswoman, owned the house, and her daughter she as a vacation home. So her daughter and her boyfriend were there at the time. And they had been shopping, and then there was some electrical fire. But Fire Brigade can't can't confirm exactly what happened, so it's listed as a mystery event.
0: So it's a second burn down within four years. And then I think the current owners are thelemites, right? They're trying to restore it through crowdfunding. Is that correct? Do you know?
1: Uh, yes, yes. I've been following them pretty, pretty closely. Uh, uh, they are land developers. Uh, I think uh is an attorney. Keith is yes he's uh, he's uh, studies for, uh, you know uh, Thalima um, and I think also also sorts of other religion he's got a degree in in comparative religion I believe so they're really you know smart people um, they're intellectuals um, how deep they are into Thalima I I don't know um, but they're rebuilding it and they they have approval to put I think it's ten um, little holiday homes um, almost mm-hmm. like hotel units uh, uh, in the property. I think to raise money and to, and to keep the place funded so that they, they can do tours. Uh and I can imagine the security around it because it uh, somebody, crazy guy, you know, lit the place on fire in 2019 as they were restoring it, which is a real real blow to their efforts. And I can imagine, you know, how frustrating that would be. So I'm sure they've got it really locked down now. Um, you know, to keep it safe.
0: And and that wasn't the only property that Paige was interested My understanding is he was curious about Crowley's Abbey of Thalima as well. Is that correct, Gino?
1: Yeah, yeah. That that was a really neat story. I had to do quite a bit of digging on. Uh, so in 1975, um, the band, uh, they were on holiday in Greece. And that was the Plant family, Page family, and, and I believe Benji Lafer, if I'm pronouncing his name right, he was the, uh, the vocal assistant for Plant and also one of the engineers. So um, basically, the families are in Greece, they're on holiday, Jimmy decides to break off uh, and, and for like a two day jaunt over to, um, uh, to Sicily uh, to go check out the Abbey of, Abbey of Thelema, which was Crowley's uh, commune back in the 20s. And this place was just dilapidated at the time. Supposedly, two brothers had owned it together. One was a communist, one was a uh, fascist, um, and they hated each other. Right? <laughs> so they built a property. wall in between the half, <laughs> one half of the I property, so. and the other. They
0: hated each other. Yeah.
1: Oh, so funny, family. Um, so uh, yeah, J- Jimmy was told about the property. Um, I think when he had met with Kenneth Anger because they had a few sessions, he might have known about it ahead of time, but I think Anger had encouraged him or had kind of lit the fire, if you will, to say, Hey, go check out this property. Uh, once again, the magical power associated with it, I think, drew Jimmy in. So he, he went and he checked it out during this trip to Greece. Sure enough, I've, I've researched it up and down, inside and out, and from what I understand. While they were at the Abbey, that's when Robert Plant got into this into really bad car accident uh, on the countryside in, in uh, Rhodes, Rhodes, Greece. Um, bad injury for him. His leg just shattered. Uh, his kids were injured. His wife had bad head injuries. Uh, the only person that escaped was uh, Scarlett Page, and she was in the back seat along with the Plant children. She didn't have a scratch on her, supposedly, um, which I find interesting. Um, and she's just, she's wonderful. She's a photographer and I follow her a bit and she just seems like such a nice person. Um, you know, really nice lady. She's around my age in her forties, uh, late forties. But anyway, yeah. So she wasn't injured. So who knows? Maybe she had some sort of protection through her dad or it was just by, by chance. Who knows?
0: Um, that was like one element of the Led Zeppelin curse was that car accident. Right. And then Paige's son, Carmack, I think he passed away two years later. Is that correct? 73. can't
1: remember. Uh, 77, right before they, they were in new Orleans and they were about to, they just had left the Oakland show. Uh, and that's when he found out in new Orleans and uh, just, just, it's tragic. I mean, it's a compelling story. Uh, it's, 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 a tragic story. There's all these, um, you know, I do not take that lightly. Um, you know, and I try to, to write about it in, in as, as sensitive as a way as possible. Um, I can only imagine. So, um, a lot of folks will, will, when I see this written up online, they'll conveniently say that Anger did his curse in '75. He he really supposedly cursed Paige or said he would curse him in '76. So, but but Jimmy had agreed to do the soundtrack for Lucifer Rising in about '72, uh, if I get it right. And once again, back in the '70s, there's there's not a whole lot of exact information on it. Just talk talk, and some people have different details. So he agreed to do this in 72-ish uh, and just just didn't get around to doing it. He ended up getting uh, from his, Anger says he did 20 minutes out of the 40 minutes that he agreed to do. Jimmy says that in an interview he did 31 minutes, but either way, he didn't get the 40 minutes that Anger wanted specifically. And so Anger was hounding him to get it done. Jimmy became addicted to heroin. I think Anger's uh, progressive frustration over waiting for this guy to do this music had started to affect the band even though there was no official curse and i think that might have had an effect on the robert plant and his uh, accident maybe i don't know maybe not some people just say hey that's just life and it happens and, and I, I can agree with that as well so who knows
0: but uh yeah so i mean they had the curse bonham passed away in what 1980 so they had definitely definitely that was the end of the band in 80 um but it wasn't a lot of their, if you look at a lot of the lyricism, even Stairway to Heaven, or you had Houses of the Holy, these are there's definitely some kind of occult uh, cult references there, correct?
1: Uh, yeah, oh yeah, definitely. There, there, there's stuff in there that refers, um, and, and people can interpret in different ways. I, I just honestly think Jimmy had no malevolent intent. Uh, he was, you know, I mean, he was addicted to drugs, and they were touring, and they had such a wild life. I think he was just playing just to see, you know, what would happen. I'm not saying it's the right thing to do. And I think in hindsight, he probably, you know, I think he once went on record to say it was regrettable um, that he had such an intense interest in Crowley. I'm pretty sure he's reflected on it and connected the dots that something, you know, in his involvement with Magic might have reverberated on the band. Um, He wouldn't, I'm sure he wouldn't say anything publicly, but I know he's reflected on it um and he said it was regrettable so he he knows that you know something was set into motion by that but i don't i don't think it's his fault per se
0: right i mean i think that uh anger called stairway to heaven stairway to heaven the most evil song that he'd ever heard because the the potency of the occult references but you say like you read quote houses of the holy in yours i mean can you talk? You have a chapter on music or music as ritual. Can you talk about like the ritual elements of their music?
1: Uh, it's been a concerts while. So specific, specifically, but um, with the concerts, I mean, Jimmy um, would always do these uh, violin bow solos, which were really cool. I mean, they sounded amazing, and just visually, what a, what a, what a great you know element to their to their performance. Um, and he uh, he does this. Um, uh, ritual where he is um, calling the corners and it's kind of a, you know, you know, North, South, East, West, he's like creating this magical space on stage with the violin bow, using it as a magic wand. Th- there's it's something on YouTube there. I mean, it's pretty obvious to anyone that has the, you know, is the slightest bit open-minded that he's doing something, whether he's just playing or doing it theatrically and with no intent, who knows? Um, but he knew that the energy in those, those stadiums and those auditoriums, all that electrical i mean that's people's minds are you know these radios there's an electrical charge there uh and all of that focus on him at one specific point on stage he catches it and then he can direct that energy um and and to what you know intent who knows what he had um but he was playing with with all this energy that he had access to uh you know in those venues with all of those people i mean i can imagine the rush you know, I mean, those guys said that they would just be high for days just off the charge of, of being, in you know, at, at the center of all of that. So uh, it's, a, it's definitely a real thing and quite palpable, I'm sure. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, the ritual extent, he all he often did that, uh, that whole calling of the corners with his violin bow. Uh, he also used the theremin, which is a really interesting um, uh, instrument and um, in that he used that on stage um, with Robert Plant. They did this whole back and forth thing. Uh, and the song remains the same. They did that. It was a really, really good uh, performance. But, um, yeah, he definitely played with, with energy and music on stage to open portals and just to see what would happen, I think.
0: Yeah, I think so. And I mean, I think uh, that's a good reference is that the, uh, their documentary, The Song Remains the Same, because I think he reenacts the hermit ascending the mountain that's in kind of the classic tarot card, right? And I think that he's also seen he's been seen in pictures kind of emulating this hermit. So <clears throat> I think it represents kind of wisdom. So he's on that path of climbing a mountain. So, you, I mean, you just see more and more esotericism of uh, Jimmy Page, the more you look at it.
1: hundred percent, William. And, and, you know, once again, I'm, I'm not defending him. I just think I, from my perspective as a young man looking back and the stuff and what was my mindset playing with that stuff, it was just, it was just tinkering around to see what was real, what wasn't, and what, what I could experience. By all means, you know, looking back, wow, you know, OK, really foolish stuff, because now I know it's for me, it's real. Um, but also just I, I can only imagine that, um, you know, Jimmy was kind of doing the same type of thing, like many, many. Usually it's young men. I think women intuitively notice to stay away from those things by and large. But I think men have a bit of a blind spot when it comes to that. So they have to actually trip and fall before they realize they shouldn't be doing this. Whereas women might go, uh-uh, I'm not going to even attempt it. I, I can sense something not right with this. Uh, I'm generalizing, but I think that's the case. It's usually young men.
0: Right. No, I I tend to agree with you. I think that there's a little bit more um, willingness to, you know, court danger. I don't think women are. are, Yeah. Which is why men die earlier than women. They die of (laughs) accidents, all kinds of stuff. Um, Yeah, more reckless for sure. What other elements kind of typify the the Led Zeppelin curse? in their
1: history. Well, there's another stream of The Curse, William, where, and and I I don't really um, believe this one as much, but there are stories that that, um, Jimmy had tried to get all the band members together to perform a ritual at Bolskin House to amplify their fame and fortune. And supposedly John Paul Jones, the practical one, wanted nothing to do with it. Um, So supposedly it was just Bonham, Robert uh, Plant, and jimmy did a ritual together to ensure fame and fortune uh and and supposedly that was the part of the reason why all of these uh uh things befell the band afterwards Uh, who knows maybe they did something i I don't know but i i kind of i think that it has to do with kenneth anger um firing jimmy page from the loose horizon project calling his press conference he was quite a theatrical guy um And and, But cleverly so, because when you do something theatrically and you call attention to yourself and you tell these uh, reporters, hey, listen to me, uh, he knew the reporters would then put that information out there. But by spreading the information and getting other people to read these stories, their minds would be vibrating, thinking these things. And then that would just kind of ricochet, which would actually create the the magical energy of it. So Anger was clever in that sense. Um, But once he fired Jimmy uh, from the project and then he said, you know what, I'm going to throw a Kenneth Anger curse. And then, you know, who knows if he did one curse ritual or many. Um, And uh, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy, in interviews when he's asked about it, he says, "Oh, it's a shame because Ken was so talented, but he just lost lost the plot." So he didn't say anything bad about Ken. Um, But Ken didn't. um, It took him a while to get Lucifer Rising out there because the soundtrack wasn't finished. Uh, But then again, Jimmy never finished the music. I mean, and that's the one thing that if he had just finished the music, I mean, if you were Ken. Uh, and you were waiting for this like rock star who, on a gentleman's agreement, said he would do forty minutes of music for your movie. Uh, and he waited years and years, and nothing. He didn't finish the music. Uh, I, I would be upset too. I would be frustrated with the guy. Be like, you know, what? How, why couldn't you? Why couldn't you follow through? And I think that's a question people don't ask Jimmy Page, and Jimmy's never answered to the best of my knowledge. So I, I don't know.
0: I don't know. Yeah, it was Bobby Boulzilay actually finished it up from jail. I think is what happened. <laughs> Went back to Bobby. yeah, yeah. But, Bobby
1: uh, and Ken.
0: Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's an interesting aspect of the uh, Manson family, often overlooked, is the connection to J- uh, Kenneth Anger through Bobby Boozley. But uh, Page also owned an occult bookstore. Can you talk about that?
1: Sure, sure. So it was called it was called the Equinox, and it was, um, Equinox was uh, named after one of Crowley's publications. I think he did a quarterly. I'm not quite sure, but it was named it's after an one encyclopedia.
0: of pub- His encyclopedia was called the Equinox.
1: There you go. That's it. And and so obviously, you know, named it after, um, uh, you know, Crowley and, and his in his work. And um, he supposedly couldn't find all of the occult titles that he wanted, all of the books he wanted. So, uh, someone suggested, you know, why don't you open your own bookshop, print your own books? Uh, so Jimmy did just that. It was a side interest for him, and it was open in London for a number of years. Um. So that he could, um, from what I understand, he put a lot of work into it and made it a really beautiful, you know, um, kind of a gothic place. And um, he, uh, yeah, he owned it for a while and um, and he printed his own book. So it was, it was once again a manifestation of his interest in the occult and and how he wanted to have that. Um, you know, the guy had the money and, and he had that side interest and fascination with it. So why not, um, you know, perpetuate that?
0: Right, and I think he published a version of the Goetia, so Crowley had also published a version of that, so he's kind of keeping that tradition. Did you ever hear of the house that, the cult kind of house that Page bought? I don't think, I don't know if I I recollect if it's in your book. It was uh, made by a mason, and he really wanted it. He bought it in the 70s. I can't remember the name of it now. The Charter House, does that sound right? Uh, I'm not familiar with that one, William, but I I
1: don't want to comment on it. But but yeah. I will say that the, the two books that Jimmy had published, one was an astrology book and one was the other book that I'm, I'm not going to mention. You mentioned the name of it. Um, but yes, those were the only two that uh, supposedly Jimmy published through uh, the Equinox store. Um, and uh, curiously enough, um,
0: potent potent books, that's for sure. Yeah. Galicia for certain. Very dangerous. Yes, Very dangerous absolutely. type of magic. Yeah. Um, so what other what I mean you talk about the curse I mean I know do you ever read about uh page attending the 100th year reception for the book of the law in Egypt in 1904 do you hear that
1: one I haven't but Jimmy Jimmy's been you know seen wearing um OTO Order Temple Orientist t-shirts and yeah. um, uh, um, and he he did. He was in Egypt for sure. Um, that's, a, that's a potent place, you know, the Sphinx and the pyramids. The Egyptian magic is, I mean, with all of the curse magic the Egyptians did. Um, so th- there's quite a, a rich history there. Um, but uh, I haven't. I haven't. It's really hard to track information like that down and, and be very definitive with it, because unless you have a picture or an article placing these people in certain places, they have access, they can travel anywhere and they don't leave as much breadcrumb wise as people would these days with social media. So
0: that's true. I mean, Page, what is in his seventies? He's got to be almost eighty. I mean, he made it through a very intense drug spell. There's pictures of him during his heroin phase where he could not be over hundred pounds.
1: Oh, he just looked so so scraggly, and there's in that like seventy seven tour, he was a real mess. Yeah. Um and yeah he's 76 now he's got a 30 year old girlfriend and the girlfriend of his friends with with Scarlett she Scarlett actually his daughter does uh photography for his his 30 year old girlfriend so they're friends and uh his girlfriend's a poet and Jimmy funds her poetic um endeavors so everybody seems happy and harmonious um you know Jimmy's 76 he's got a good life uh, he's got. Megabucks, but he cannot go on tour as Led Zeppelin he wants too badly, but Robert Plant refuses to allow it.
0: Really, why? Do you know why that is?
1: I I think Plant um, blames Jimmy uh, for what happened to the band. Rod John Bonham, potentially his son. Um, I I found something where it was quoted by one of the newspapers back at, after Bonham died that Robert Plant uh, you know blames Jimmy's uh, interest in the occult for what happened. I I can't. I can't confirm that, but I do know there's, there's stuff online where he was quoted by a reporter as, as having said that through a second or third source. Uh, there's always been tension between those guys. That's one thing I really stand firm with. Uh, I can see the tension when they do interviews. Um, how can you blame Robert Plant? All the Most of the, the bad stuff happened to him, uh, and I think he holds it against Jimmy, even though they have this kind of polite, you know, yeah, we're old bandmates. They don't tour again. Plant has his own uh, very successful solo career. He does his own thing with Allison Krauss. Right. Uh, John Paul Jones is he is really a talented guy and such a nice guy. And he he's he does so much just kind of in the background musically. They both have had very fruitful music careers after uh, 1980. Whereas Jimmy, considering his immense talent, has not done a whole lot. And anger's curse was all about not not killing him, not hurting him. But uh, the curse of King Midas is about creating um, illness or creative impotence. And then we know King Midas, everything he touched turned to gold. Jimmy has got megabucks. And, um, you know, so everything he touched did turn to gold afterwards. But also, uh, creatively, Jimmy has been stunted. All he wants to do, and he said through the media for years, you know, if only Robert would would agree, we'd go on tour again. Jimmy wants that energy. He doesn't want the money. He wants that the feeling of of traveling again and reliving those days as led zeppelin and robert plant you you need the lead singer and plant says nope we'll do a one off show here and there as they have done uh, periodically but there's no touring there's no new music nothing and i think plant holds it against him and he says nope not going to happen dude and, and, and i really believe
0: that that's really fascinating because what is what has uh, page really achieved since 1980 since bottom passed away so
1: Well, I mean, yeah, some people will say, oh, he's done this and this, he's did the Death Wish soundtrack, and he's collaborated with the Black Crowes. He's done little bits and pieces, but for somebody like that, he could have had such an amazing um, you know, second career after Zeppelin, and it didn't happen. It did not happen. So, who knows? I mean, based on the way The Curse is structured, it seemed to have worked. I don't know. Maybe not.
0: No, it's really a mysterious band. I'm so influential, super influential, still listen to all those songs today on the radio, but just with Bonham, what Bonham drank? What forty shots of uh, vodka before noon or something like that? And That Jimmy was it. Was
1: out of control. Yeah, they were they were um, rehearsing at Bray Studios in England, uh, and Jimmy had bought his um, he bought the old Mill House after um, Plumpton Place when there was a, a, an OD death there. They moved to the old Mill House that Michael Caine had owned um and then uh they after rehearsals uh, after bonham had had you know 40 shots of vodka that day uh, they all had a they slept over at jimmy's new house yeah because it was close by and then that's when they woke up and you know bonham had choked on his own vomit and, and, and that was it um yeah so, but he was on a tear a though
0: right it wasn't like uh you know it was a matter of time that's my, is my understanding about bonham
1: yeah, I mean, you could go either way. You could say rock and roll lifestyle, and people drank and did drugs, and, and those things happen. So this curse, uh, people could say the curse is nonsense. Sure, I, I can agree with with that. I'm not saying the curse is or isn't true. It's just something to consider. Um, but I also think I from my understanding with the occult, is that when you have that kind of energy swirling around you, everybody has their weakness or their, um, you know, predisposition to certain behavior. Jimmy was hooked on heroin. Bonham was already an alcoholic, but I think that the energy that was swirling around them or directed at them certainly exacerbated Bonham's alcoholism. He was he was susceptible to that. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why he just overdid it and died. Who, who knows? I mean, you can't really prove can't, it. It can't be proven or disproven, but it's, it's food for thought. And it's a compelling story.
0: Well, Lance, we are at 40 minutes. Is there anything you'd like to add? Anything I missed Where can Where's the best place for people to buy the book?
1: Oh, yeah, thank you for that. Uh, so yeah, Amazon.com, uh, paperback or Kindle. Um, and you can you can check out excerpts uh, from the book on my website, uh, LanceGilbert.net, net. And um, yeah, it's just it's a compelling story, as long as you head into it with an open mind. Uh, I'm certainly not saying that this is or isn't true. But there are certain circumstances, uh, events that occurred, and then there, you know, supposedly were, um, were outcomes. And, you know, people can draw their own conclusions it's, it's just something that's a, a neat story to consider
0: well it is definitely very mysterious events all come, come together and probably one of the world's famous most famous bands again the title of the book is the Led zeppelin curse jimmy page and the haunted bullskin house by lance gilbert lance gilbert thank you so much
1: hey william i really appreciate it wonderful time uh and uh hey your, your, your podcast is fabulous so i hope people uh listen to this and other ones and i um, happy to come back on at some point in the future
0: Awesome. Great. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah. So if people are listening right now, do me a favor, go to iTunes. If you like the show, give a five-star review, share this uh, episode with your friends and family. And, uh, you know, so I'm in the top 1.5% of podcasts around the world. So please uh, share this around. I'd appreciate it. But thanks a lot, Lance. Take care.
1: Hey, my pleasure. Take care, William. Cheers.